When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Turn up the radio and sing along. It's time for another great song. This is the Great Song Podcast. Seasons greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, you are listening to the Great Song Podcast. I'm Rob Alley. I am J.P. Mosier. We're here in Music City, USA. That's right, Lebanon, Tennessee. Lebanon. <laughs> Breaking down the greatest songs of modern music history. We're going to tell you why they're great, why we think they're great, and why you should too. Uh, and uh, we've got a song today that I don't know one person who doesn't love this song. I don't know a single person who doesn't know and respect and love this song. Uh, today we're getting into Africa. By request. Africa. By request. Africa by Toto. So uh, this song, man, it just immediate feels. Just all the feels right away. Beloved of many generations. Um, Kick it song, off. Let's, uh, let's, get, let's get some feels. Let's take a listen. Here's Africa by Toto. Everybody, that's Africa by Toto from the album Toto 4. It was included on their 1982 album Toto 4 and released as a single on September 30th, 1982. It reached number one on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart on February 5th, 1983. The band's only number one there and number three on the U.K. singles chart the same month. Uh, it was written by the band's keyboardist slash vocalist David Paish and drummer Jeff Porcaro. Um, who was uh, died tragically early. Uh, a couple of the Porcaro guys have uh, passed away after having been members of uh, Toto. We'll touch on that on the Meet That's the Band so section. That's so sad. 
Let's not be sad. It's Africa. Let's kick it off with some joy. Man, everybody loves this song. It just, this song has a feel that I can't really recall another song that just sort of immediately puts you in another place like this to the degree that Africa does. It's like all of a sudden you just feel warm and like just... Smiley. ah, It's so pleasant. Like it's just this great... I don't even know what kind of song is this. It's pop, but it's... It's it's almost like world music, you That's know, good. like you would go into the into the uh, I remember there back in the day when there was like three music stores at the mall, <laughs> <laughs> you would go in and like there would be, you know, you'd have rock pop, you'd have hip hop, you'd have and then way back in the back world, corner world reggae. Yeah, or exactly. World slash reggae. Like, I'm and looking this, for my Christafari album. Oh, it's in world <laughs> reggae or Christian. I don't yeah. know. Oh, man. Uh, this has a little bit of that. I don't know if that was a category at this point or not, but it's got like, you know, marimbas and stuff in it. It's not kalimbas. guitar-driven. It's kalimbas. Thank you. Uh, it's mostly synth and these like sort of, um, you know, indigenous-sounding instruments. Ox percussions. Big though. old shakers and, and you know, uh, all kinds of stuff. But it just immediately evokes this feeling of like, ah, it's so pleasant. Um, so, okay, here's why it's dangerous to study <clears throat> songs, uh, on the internet and not make sure you're digging in. Cause if the, the first thing you look as what this song is about, the first couple things that you find, um, will say this, that this song is about a white boy who becomes fascinated with Africa and decides to write a song about it. That's not what this song is about. Uh, that is kind of a fact of how this song was written. Uh, the keyboardist, uh, David Pache, uh, had been watching some documentary stuff on Africa and kind of fell in love with it and wrote a song about it. That is a fact of what happened. That's not what the song is about. True. Yes. You got to dig until you actually find like the songwriter talking about what the song is about. It's not, you know, he may have said in an interview at some point, like, just kind of jokingly, yeah, this is a song about a white boy who falls in love with Africa and decides to write a song about it. But that's not what the song is about. There's nothing, you know. Uh, but uh, what the song is about, uh, it's this is according to songfacts.com and, and interviews with David Page bear this out. The song tells the story of a man who comes to Africa and must make a decision about the girl who comes to see him. He's enamored with the country, but he must decide if he's going to leave and be with her or if he's going to stay and take care of business in, in this country that he's, or in this, uh, continent, excuse me, that he's come to love. Um, and, uh, and he has said, uh, that there was some metaphor involved there because he said, I was at the age where I was so immersed in my work 24 seven that at times I felt like I was becoming just a victim of my work. There was a little bit of autobiographical information in there being consumed by my work, not having time to go out and pursue getting married and raising a family and doing all the things that other people do that were my age at the time. So uh, there's a little bit of metaphor there between his work life and the, and the life that he wanted to have um, his work life being Africa and uh, you know, whatever. So, that's what the song is about. Don't let the internet tell you that it's about a white boy writing a song about Africa. It's not. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, um, what's, what's, what are your initial thoughts on this song? Well, the thing that catches me out the gate is the rhythm pattern or the, uh, the groove. The groove. Yeah, baby. Yeah, the, the groove. groove. 
Um, so I looked up, actually, I looked up an interview with Jeff Percaro on this. And we'll talk about the Meet the Band section later. But I'm just going to read this because if I try to sum it up, you won't get the feel. So it's kind of a lengthier little interview portion, but I'll read it as quick as I can. So uh, this is from Jeff Percaro. So when doing Africa, I set up a bass drum, snare drum, and a hi-hat. And Lenny Castro, who's a conga player on here, set, uh, set up a conga right in front. We looked at each other and just started playing the basic groove. The back beat's on three, so it's a halftime feel. And it's 16th notes on the hi-hat. Lenny started playing a conga pattern. We played for five minutes on tape. No click, no nothing. We just played. And I was singing the bass line in my head. So I had a relative tempo. Lenny and I went back in the booth and listened to the track for five minutes of the same boring pattern and just picked out the best two bars that they thought were grooving and just marked those on the tape. Yeah. So that's kind of how they said it, which I and think it, is neat. And so let's let's put this in context because we live in a digital age when we want to make a loop. We plug in a MIDI keyboard and <clears throat> we hit a couple keys and then we tell it to loop and it just plays forever. We click one button and it'll play for, you know, Eternity. 85 minutes yeah. if we need it to. Uh, and that's how you make a loop now. This in 82. Is, in 82, this is what they did. Uh, and they'd taken this production technique from, uh, they weren't the first to do it, but this is how you made a loop back in the day. You know, there were synthesizers and that kind of thing, and they could have done it on a drum machine. Drum machines were not uh, brand new at this point, but they decided to do it the old school way, which is you literally take a piece of r- tape that you record onto and you loop it. You literally loop it. And so it, it says that they... Uh, it, in recording this, that they had a piece of tape that they had basically strewn all throughout the studio to give them enough time to be able to jam through it. And then they took that tape, cut it, and looped it, and it plays over and over and over and over again. And they so they basically made their loop. Homemade loop. Homemade looping back in the day. Thank God for digital technology. That's all I have to say. I would have never gone through that if process. nothing else, just for time's sake. Oh, my goodness. Yes. I mean, seriously, this, this loop could be created in, you know, some sort of digital software in two minutes or less. If you were really trying to see how fast you could do it, you could do it this in, in a minute. Uh, and it's just insane to, to think the lengths that they had to go through. But it's a beautiful loop. It is. It drives the whole song, and it sort of undergirds you know, the whole thing. Um, it never stops. It's going through the whole thing as it fades out at the end. It's still... And this you know, nice little uh, whatever. Um, so that's, that's one of the things that really... Um, you know, the song is... I, I think the song continues to be popular because of a confluence of several things uh but the feel is definitely uh one of them uh i wanted to do some research on um why millennials love this song so much okay i feel like i feel like people like our age and younger just there's no reason for them to love this song like it's i've never seen toto live like yeah had a great experience with toto yeah and like, like, why are you know twenty-five-year-old basic white girls in love with the song? They are, but I don't know why. Um, and I, I, David Page said um, partially that he thought the beat was just incredible. Uh, he said it's a tribal, primal kind of hypnotic thing, and it's just like a heartbeat that just goes through the whole song. Boom, 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 boom. Uh, and it's got kind of a, you know, a romantic 
story, you know, there's a guy and a girl, that's always good, but there's a million songs about that. Um, I mean, he said there's kind of a few twists and turns, and there's a lot, a lot of space for people to interpret the song on their own. You know what I mean? You can, uh, you could argue, uh, not argue, but you could discuss. You know, oh, I think this is kind of about this, or maybe he's talking about this here. Um, and he said, um, and then there's the harmonies and the vocal arrangement and the way that they come together in the chorus. I that is definitely one of the hooks for me. Is that um, when it's, of course, you get this, the verse is we have best we can figure the verse is in the key of b major and the chorus is in the key of a major which in itself is quite a feat to do a key change down by a whole step is unique and the chord structure of the song is brilliant it's amazing and the way they they get around um you know from place to place chord wise is amazing but when you hit that chorus and he comes in gonna take a lot it just takes off the whole thing for me takes off and then they punch you right in the guts when the harmonies come in too. That second line of the chorus, when uh, when the harmonies come in and join the, the high part on the lead, um, it's just great. And then the harmonies start moving underneath on, I'm blessed the rains down in Africa. You know, all the stuff underneath is just, uh, uh, just good. It's like warm soup. <laughs> it's like delicious soup. And, uh, and I eat it every time and uh, gorge myself on this African tribal soup. <laughs> uh, at this point, I'm just trying to see how many times I can say, say soup. soup. Yeah. Uh, what do you, I, what's, your, what's the thing about this song that gets you? Or um, is there one? Yeah, well, I love the dual vocalists, like that they have two lead vocalists. Yeah. I think that's kind of right. neat. Different, we haven't said this yet. The vocalist on the verse, or the lead vocalist on the verse, is different from the lead vocalist on the chorus, yeah. which is neat to have two different lead vocalists. Um, and the vocal strength in it is awesome. Um, I could jump on this into the meet the band section, but uh, the guy that plays rhythm guitar and does backing vocals on it is Timothy B. Schmidt, the yeah. guy from the Eagles. From the Eagles, man. Yeah, so. If you don't know Timothy B. Schmidt, um, let me play one song, and if you don't know this song... Then I don't it know. It better be Love Will Keep Us Alive. It will be Love Will Keep Us Alive. Okay. This is Timothy B. Yes, that is in fact a man, and his name is Timothy B. Schmidt. He was there serving as a member of the Eagles, and that was the song "Love Will Keep Us Alive." Doing some, but I feel like he's got a. I always, I never liked that song much. Uh, I always thought, you know, why didn't you put this in like somebody else's singable range? Like, why you got to sing it like that? But uh, he's got an amazing voice for BGVs, though. He's got the perfect voice for backgrounds with the Eagles or or whoever. Uh, amazing voice for background vocals. So uh, you know what? With that, why don't we take it? Why don't we take a second and segue into Meet the Band? Hey, let's meet the band. It's time to meet the band. Hey, mama, let's meet the band. Let's all meet the band. Hey! All right, we're gonna do Meet the Band now of Toto, or uh, some may call it the Porcaro Family Reunion. There's tons <laughs> of Porcaroness on here. Um, the aforementioned Jeff Procaro on drums and percussion, uh, played with Toto and Steely Dan, was the most sought-out drummer for the studio in the 70s through the 90s. He was the most sought-out. Yeah, he was the man. Like, like people who really... First of all, Toto's one of those bands 
that people who really, really, really know their stuff musically look up to. Like they were all top notch at what they did. And you're going to, I'm sure we're going to hear from you some of the stuff that they played on outside of Toto. Sure. Uh, but Toto is one of those bands that like the musicians that you know, who you respect the most, uh, respect Toto the most. Which speaks highly of the of the band. I'll try to touch on this as quick as I can because it's a lengthy band. Get ready. It's a big band. Okay. Uh, Jeff Percaro started touring at age 17 with Sonny and Cher. That was huh. his first band that he played with. He was the drummer for them. Also played with Boz Skaggs, Steely Dan. Probably, I would say his most notable drum pattern is the first track on this album yep. in Rosanna. Rosanna. That's money. It's Good. kind of a... It's, uh, it's, l- l- we'll play it for you play in a, a second. Play a second so here. So here's... It, it's... Um, a combination of two sort of famous drum shuffles. One is called the Purdy Shuffle, and one is called the, the Bo Diddley Beat. And he's k- taken the, the a thing called the Purdy Shuffle. And put put a kick drum in the Bo Diddley pattern, which is the bump, 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 bump. He's taking this thing called the Purdy Shuffle, combined it with the Bo Diddley beat, and you get the drum groove on Rosanna, which is awesome. Check it out. So yeah, amazing drum groove there with some like ghost notes and just... Your favorite drummers love that groove, I promise you. Absolutely. Um, He played with everybody from Madonna to Springsteen to Don Henley, Richard Marks, and even played on Sandy Patty's 1990 Another Time, Another Place. Wow. He is the drummer. Really? Great job, Jeff. Um, As Rob mentioned earlier, he died in 92. Um, Sad story how he died. He actually sprayed insecticide in his house. And that mixed with his cocaine use is what killed him. Wow. It was from the insecticide in his house um, to kill the kill those pesky That's little crazy. pests. Um, moving along in the Percaro family on synthesizer, Steve Percaro, um, he wrote Gary Smith's uh, Dreamweaver, the, his first hit. You know that song? Yeah, oh, of dream. course. It's kind of similar groove, actually. Similar to Rosanna. Yeah, he, wow. he's the the, um, the synthesizer player on that. He is the only member of the band that doesn't provide any backing vocals on the whole album. Huh. Um, he doesn't like his vo- his voice, but he still helps with the writing. But only plays uh, the keyboard. Other notable riffs that he wrote: the Human Nature riff, yeah, for Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson wrote that one. Also, the Girl Is Mine. He also played with Yes, Jefferson Airplane. And he wrote all the music for the newest TV show, Justified. Um, I haven't seen huh. the show, but he get, I, Interesting. Like I think it's an FX show. Maybe. Okay. Um, he used, at the time, he was only playing um, a, Yama DX, a Yamaha DX1. That was yeah. his keyboard of choice. And now he uses two motifs on stage. But he's the Yamaha only... Yamaha guy. Yeah, he's the only surviving Percaro. Um, on percussion, Same. the father of the Pacaros, um, he played on every Toto album ever recorded. Um, no kidding. He uh, yeah, also played with uh, Madonna, Natalie Cole, and Pink Floyd. Um, let me look here and see real quick here. Yeah, that's all I got on him. Uh, on bass, the Pacaro that did not play bass on the album but is on the video. Uh, somebody else actually played bass on the actual album, but okay. he's in the video. Yeah. It's Mike Pacaro. Um, he was playing with Vicky Lawrence at the time from Vicky Lawrence from Mama's, Mama's family. family. He <laughs> toured with Vicky Lawrence 
at the time, she had a traveling group, huh. and he played bass for it. Okay, so that's why man. he was not on this recording. Wow. Because he was on the road with Vicki Lawrence. Okay, man. Uh, yeah. So he uh, had, uh, it's, I'm going to try to pronounce this right, amotrophic lateral sclerosis, uh, which is finger numbness in 2008. So okay. he had to stop playing. And he was replaced by Leland Sklar. Okay. Um, who we know from Genesis and other okay. famous bands. Big wow. bearded guy. He died in 2015. Uh, the real bass player on this was David Hungate, um, and he left the band to become a studio musician in Nashville, and he plays lots of instruments, but bass is number one instrument. He played bass on all the Shania Twain stuff. He also plays lots of trumpet. That's his other an- instrument. Um, lives in Nashville and now plays with Vince Gill. Okay. Um, vocals, we're going to get on David Page here in a minute, but the other vocalist is a guy named Bobby Kimball. Um he, aside from his R&B jazz vocal styling, he is most proud of the sandwiches that he would make during the band recording. <laughs> okay. He jokes that the band actually is named after him because his real name is Robert Toto, which is spelled T-O-T-E-A-U-X. Ooh. But that's not true. It's not, he's not named after him. Really? But he jokes that they named him after him. Well, yeah, I mean. It's Toto. I, and he's in Toto. I mean, Wow. Okay. Um, I can come back to the rest of the band section, but I do want to touch on, do you know why they are named Toto? I don't. Um, it's from the Latin totus, which is like totally everything. Everything. Yeah. Huh. So that's kind of what they wanted to be is incorporate everything in their musical styling. Huh. Well, they kind of did. They did. I Moving mean, on. Uh, if you go from uh, Rosanna to uh, Hold the Line, yeah. which is one of their other big hits. Hold the Line. I love Hold it. the Line to Africa is quite a, is quite a span. It's a space. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the vocalist and songwriter, um, David Page, who Rob talked about um, earlier, he also played keys. He also wrote for Boz Skaggs, Rod Stewart, Doobie Brothers, um, and he was very influential in writing We Are the World. Um, cool. He also wrote uh, Please Forgive Me for Brian Adams and Earth Song <laughs> for Michael Jackson. Oh, I love that song. Yes, I do too. Oh my gosh. That's another one of the most amazingly produced songs I've ever the heard. The end. Oh. It's huge. Oh, yeah. So good. We're going to yeah. do that one one day. Yeah, we'll, we'll touch on that. Um, my favorite musician on this is the guy that played the recorder. There's a guy <laughs> named Jim Horn who plays the recorder. I'm looking at the back of the vinyl, and he gets all kinds of credit on here in big, big, <laughs> big notes. So I had to look up some Jim Horn fact. Hey, of course. Um, he played on three Beatles solo albums, but I cannot find which one. So uh-huh. He played on three of the Beatles and not one of the others, so I don't know who he left out. <laughs> um, but he played flute with John Denver. And also on the Beach Boys Pet Sounds album and Rolling Stones uh, Goat's Head Soup album. Wow, he played on Pet Sounds. He did. I mean, that's a big deal. Flute on Pet Sounds. Flute on Pet Sounds. Listen, playing flute with John Denver. (laughs) is rock and roll at its finest. And he's like, I'm going to up that one by playing recorder with Toto. That's the the whitest thing I've ever heard. Those of y'all that don't know what a recorder is, it's oh, yeah. the instrument they teach you in elementary school that looks like a flute, but it's not. Yeah. It's, it's like, like the, it's like a, it's like a stick with holes in yeah, it. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> I had a recorder. Did you have a recorder? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, um, I lost my, I was third chair recorder in sixth grade, uh, and I, <clears throat> I got challenged by one of the other people, and the song that they challenged me to was uh, "You're the Inspiration" by Chicago, Chicago? and uh, I lost my chair 
because I played it like it was on the record instead of playing it like it was on the page. Oh and uh, so I played it more complicated, but truer to the recording. And I lost my third chair recorder <laughs> position to Sally or whoever. I was going to say, what's the name of the person? Oh, that took man. You know to what? Jim Horn. To Jim Horn. <laughs> this kid, Jim. Oh, man. Fascinating. Uh, yeah. Recorder stuff. Yeah, no. So just listen, if you're out there in third grade and you're listening to the podcast today, be encouraged. That's if you try really hard out of the 500 million kids playing recorder right now, you could grow up. You could be on the next Bieber album to play playing recorder. <laughs> oh, uh, gosh. Uh, moving along, conga player on this, Lenny Castro. I talked about him earlier in the interview, but. He was a freelancer. I love this fact about him is he never committed to one band. He was never in a band, which I think is risky as, as a rule. But imagine if you're a conga player yeah. and you get asked to play with Toto. And he's like, no, no, I'm, I'm not going to commit to a band. And he's a freelance conga player. Wow. And uh, he played with Fleetwood Mac, Christopher Cross, Dolly Parton. I'm saving some of these bands he played with for the end because you're going to be like, what? <laughs> Oasis, John Mayer, Randy Newman, Eagles. Alien Ant Farm? What? Avenge Sevenfold? <laughs> How do you play congas on Avenge Sevenfold? Fast. I Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Lenny Castro, you're awesome. Uh, B- BGs, Eagles, Joe Bonamassa. This guy's played with wow. everybody. His repert- his his listing is amazing. But I was looking through all he played with. I was like, what? Alien Ant Farm? Wow. Avenge Sevenfold? So, yeah, freelance, man. Freelance. Yeah, freelance conga player. Free. So there you go. Good Had job, Mr. Resume. Castro. Um, no relation to Fidel. Uh, moving along uh, on guitar, I saved this one for the end because I love Steve Lukather. This guy yeah. is money. Um, he joined Toto at 19, has 12 Grammy nominations, and won five. Um, one is a jazz fusion album with Larry Carlton, yeah. which is awesome. Uh, three with Toto, and one with George Benson on Turn Your Love Around. Yeah. He played guitar on really? Turn, he played Turn guitar. Your Love Around. There you go. Yeah, there love you go. Hey, George. George. Thanks, buddy. Hey, thanks for stopping by, George. <laughs> um, his first guitar was a K guitar. Yeah. Um, but his first instrument was actually violin. He <laughs> started on violin, um, and he learned to play guitar with the Meet the Beatles album. And he, at age seven, he grew up wanting to be George Harrison, and he's played on over 1,500 albums as a session guitarist. Wow. I'm not going to list them. <laughs> There's a ton. His first... Uh, One of the most notable, though, I'm going to say... If you know, if you're going, who is Steve Lukather? Why has he done all this stuff and I haven't heard him? You've heard him because he played on a little song called Beat It by Michael Jackson that you may have heard. So uh, Eddie Van Halen did not did the solo. Yeah. Van Halen did the solo. Eddie Van Halen did the solo, but all the rhythm stuff, all those little riffs in there, that's Steve Lukather. Boom. So now you know. Um, his first single solo to reach number one, though, was actually not one of these with Toto because they never reached number one. Yeah, it was "Physical" by Olivia Newton-John. What he wrote "Physical"? Get he wrote physical. it. Helped write it and also did all the music. Oh for my it. word! Good job, Steve. Wow, on that one. Um, he now tours with Ringo Starr, who I've seen twice. I've seen Ringo twice, and both times with Steve Lukather. It is awesome, and he does the way the Ringo shows are. Is he's got. Tons of other good musicians that play. Greg yeah. Raleigh from Journey plays, and um, and um, Steve Lu- uh, Steve Lukather plays. And Steve Lukather does three Toto songs with Ringo Starr and his band. He does Hold the Line, Africa, and Rosanna, and it's awesome. Huh. Um, and something that he does in the studio is that he is proud of is he rarely overdubs anything. He says it either works or it doesn't. 
Huh. So that's his th- which I think is cool because I'm not that good. <laughs> uh, uh, effects. The, the only um, effect he has on his rack is a delay. Um, yeah, he's got a pretty straightforward sound. He has a delay on his rack, and that's it. He plays through EMG pickups, and his he plays his line of Ernie Ball Music Man, which is called Luke. Yep. Um, and there's a preamp in the guitar where it's a 12 uh, dB push tone pot. Okay. Which is just kinda, volume boost. Just volume boost. Yeah. So here's solos, my man. here's my solo section. Kaboom. Boom. Let's yeah. hit a button. Don't even step a pedal. You cool. do it on your guitar. Yeah. Um, and he plays Ovation acoustic guitars. So I could talk on Steve Lukather forever, but that's the highlight. Yeah. He's a he's a session guitarist's guitarist. He is very extremely versatile. I mean, versatile hardly even does it justice. He's been on so much stuff. Everything. Something I did note, too, because, you know, we talked about the recorder player, Jim Horn. There is a flute solo in the middle of this song, yep. but it's actually done on keyboard. Done on synth, yeah. Mm-hmm. Stacked uh, stacked synth. You know, let me, let, me just, let me just say this. Who would have thought that a song with a flute solo and lyrics about the Serengeti and Kilimanjaro... Who would have thought that that a song of that? I don't even know what the word is. It just seems I don't know. For first of all, for a rock band to put out this song uh, is a feat, and then for a song is kind of um, I almost want to say wimpy. <laughs> like it's kind of it's very sort of in touch with its own feelings. You know what I'm saying? Uh, like to endure this long and still be a massive you know, pop culture icon uh, is yeah, like really it, incredible. On their album cover, they're all doing their rock and roll poses. Yeah. Like, they're not... No, they didn't think... I don't think they thought this was going to be... No. Even though it was the last song, they wanted to be a rock band. Yes, Toto... Toto I mean, they're a progressive rock band. And um, th- and they said this, this song wasn't originally thought of for the album. David Pace wrote it. And they said they said the running joke in Toto was anytime somebody wrote something that they like didn't like, they would say, oh, you know, that's for your solo record. Like, that's what they would say. But he said that this song got that, you know, oh, this is for the solo record, you know, but that they basically threw it on as an afterthought. They had everything else recorded already. The, the album was pretty much ready to go. And then they added on Africa as an afterthought, put it the last track on the album, and it becomes the song that they are most known for. Would you say that they're more known yeah. for Africa than either for Hold oh, the Line or absolutely. Rosanna? Absolutely. And um, the thing with being able to put, a, whereas now, you know, you can save pocket hits to the end of albums because you have CDs and you, you can skip, skip to the end. Yeah. On a vinyl, you put your song that you don't care if anybody hears yeah. at the end because yeah. you have to listen through everything to get yeah. to the last song of side two. Okay. We're going to have to have a side discussion. We, there's no way we can have it today, but about the best last track of an oh, album. Oh, yeah. That'd be One good. of these days, we're going to do a bonus episode on the best last track of an album. Um, Let's do another side discussion. Pick one. Okay. 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 So this song is is a softer song done by a progressive rock band. Distorted guitars, heavy grooves. Uh, you know, I mean, Hold the Line is a very heavy... Um, you know, it's it's just straight ahead, big rock and roll. It's arena rock, and um, and so this Africa is a complete departure from the rest of it, and f- honestly, from most of their catalog, there's nothing else really that's like this. Um, so I I want to pose the question: What is uh, 
who are bands who are best known for a song that doesn't really musically represent who they are at their core? Who who is who's out there and people know them for a certain song and then if you go back to the rest of their catalog it doesn't feel like that song feels. And Rob prepped me with this question so that I could be prepared and I could think of one. There was one that hit me in the face that I was like, okay, this is one. It hit me right away when he asked me. And then I did some thinking. Um, the one that hits me right out the gates is Extreme. Yes. The More Than Words. More Than Words. Play a little of More Than Ro- Words so they'll know what, what song we're talking about. Okay, so everybody knows more than words, right? And it's it's a great song, but it is not. It is not. It is not extreme. No, it is definitely not uh, one of extremes' uh, representational uh, songs. If you Let's, bought Pornography Two to get that feel all the way through, you will be highly disappointed because yeah. the majority of the songs sound something like this. Yeah, man. I mean, squeal, squeal, <laughs> Nunu Benincourt, you squeal. Um, oh. So yeah, that's that's extreme. Uh, so that one was the one that immediately hit me in the face. Yeah. And uh, the only other one I could think of off the top of my head was the the Mr. Big song. Oh the, yeah. To be with you. The, to be with you. Same. Uh, yeah. Uh, just to be the next to be with you. They were also progressive rock band that sounded nothing like. Yep. You know, their stuff is heavy guitars. Billy Sheehan on bass going yes. insane. Yes. Uh, Paul Gilbert on yeah. guitar for them. I mean, just these shred players. Yes. And their, you know, their their soft acoustic ballad ends up being what they're known for exclusively. In Mr. Big's case. That's uh, it. That's it. They it's have on the monster one- ballads yeah. and anything <laughs> that, yes. That's it. Uh, you know, Extreme had another hit-ish with um, uh, Wholehearted. There's a hole in my heart that can only be filled by you. Kind of another softer thing. I think that's kind of a pattern among these is that you get a a ballad or a softer song by a a band who is not normally, that's not their normal bent, and it gets picked up by more mainstream um, stuff. Um, I'll submit uh, Blind Melon. No Um, Rain. No Rain is their only hit, but it did not sound like what they did. It was not representative of who they were. They were a rock band too, you know, Um, and... um, um, and, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I think, I think I'm right on this. One of my favorite bands, their biggest hit, uh, they hated for a long time, but, uh, uh, Delamitri, the roll, song roll, to, roll me to me is the only song that just about anybody knows by them. Um, but it's not, it's shiny pop. It's got an old school Beatlesque. Uh, mixing job where the vocals are on one side and the band's on the oh, other dude, side. Oh, dude, I have a great story about that. I played it at a wedding one time, but I wasn't running pan right. Oh, no. And so it was just music, yeah. no vocals. And I was like, I think that's roll to me, but it's not. Yeah, yes, so be careful is, on doing that. It is you hard DJs panned. All the vocals are on one side. All the instruments on the, are on the other side. Uh, but most of the, the, almost all the rest of their stuff, that's the only song of theirs I can think of off the top of my head. It's like a two-minute song. Sounds it's so short. 
and it sounds like shiny pop and also is kind of a happy song. Most of their stuff either sounds dark and is dark or sounds happy and is super sarcastically dark. Um, so uh, I'm going to submit them. I'm also going to see what you think about this. This might be a stretch, but I think I think the the evidence might bear it out. And if you're listening, let us know what you think about this. But I think a, a, an example of a, of a band who is best known for a song that really doesn't musically represent who they are, The Police. Well, every breath you take. Every breath you take. I don't think yeah. it's indicative necessarily of who the police are. Agree or disagree? I, I, I disagree because it's got a good guitar riff underneath. Yeah. I think the guitar and the, I think, I don't know. Is it too mellow for you to? I, well, I think most, a lot of their other stuff, especially if you think of their hits, if you think of Roxanne, Roxanne. Uh, even everything she little does is magic. Uh, a lot of that stuff is reggae driven stylistically maybe but it's, they have really good chord work in their stuff and i think the oh can't you see you belong to me chords uh-huh. police it up enough where it's like okay that's a really smart sting written song yeah does that make sense uh, definitely the- an incredibly written song but i would put that more as a this feels like a sting song than this okay feels i like see a what you're saying this is, i get it now i see what you're saying this feels like his solo work yes this could have been on 10 summer's tales but not on a police album yeah i get that, that i think sense. so i but that's I don't know. If you're listening out there, follow us on Twitter at Great Song Pod uh, and let us know what you think about that. Are the is is every breath you take indicative of what the police really are at their well, core? Well, where do you put King of Pain in that? Then see, I think King of Pain is the closest thing of their of their hits. Which, by the way, my gosh, one of the most beautiful songs we'll probably I've King ever Payne. heard. Uh, and actually, when we do that song, I'll tell you why I prefer the mix of the Weird Al Yankovic parody. Okay, uh, King of Suede. And uh, when we do get into that song, I'll tell you why. Table that till then. That's good. Yeah. Um, so anyway, fun discussion. But I, Africa is that for the for Toto. Uh, it doesn't really have a place. It's kind of an outlier in their greater body of work. Uh, it's kind of on the fringes for them. Um, something that I wanted to talk about just for a second is the importance of uh, a, a studio technique called doubling on this song. I'm of the opinion that it may not have been the same song if the vocals had not been doubled throughout. Versus on the uh, on the verse, it's doubled. On the chorus, it's doubled. And doubling is literally, it's what it sounds like, if you don't know. It's you go in and you record your vocal line, and then you go in and you record it exactly the same again, um, as exact as you can. And the thing is that even though you can sing it exactly the same, there are variations that you can't control. You cannot exactly double yourself. And so it adds uh, some layering to your voice. And even though it comes across to the listener often as, you know, it's just a guy singing, um, it really is being doubled and it sounds thicker. Phil Collins, if you think you're making your own chorus. Yes, exactly. It's your own chorus effect that you're giving yourself. Uh, Phil Collins, when you hear his vocals, almost always doubled, uh, especially on, on the choruses of songs. Um, so the vocals on this one are doubled throughout and it gives it this lushness, this, you know, another layer to the song. Thickens it up. It's, good. it's, it gives it a presence, but it's, it maintains its softness. Um, I don't know really how else to explain it, but especially on the chorus, uh, and this is a common technique, especially in the eighties, you would hear, 
you know, vocals not only doubled, but tripled, quadrupled, whatever. Uh, and I and think it helped thickens it up, too, because it's so, so high in the register. Like, it would be really thin if he just did yeah, it once exactly. with that high, because he's already stretching. I mean, everybody that, if you try to cover Toto by Africa and do all the parts, you're yeah, amazing. That's a high A, yeah. buddy. Junior. <laughs> uh, what am I thinking of? Billy Madison? That's assault, brother. <laughs> anyway, that's a high A, brother. Um, so yeah, I think I think one of the things that um, you know helps helps the song a lot, especially on the vocal end, is having it doubled uh, throughout. Something to listen for if you're listening on the radio. Take note of of uh, especially on the choruses of a song. Uh, you'll hear that the lead vocal is often doubled, and it's something you don't think about very much, but it happens all the time. What does she got on the song? Well, um, there's an aforementioned Kilimanjaro in there. So I thought I'd look up some random Kilimanjaro facts. I'll hit these pretty quick. Uh, It's the tallest mountain on Africa, on the African continent, and it's the highest freestanding mountain in the world. Um, The fastest ascent was in 2001 when Bruno Brunrod did it in five hours and 38 minutes and 40 seconds. Who could forget? Of course. And the oldest person to do it, an 87-year-old Frenchman named Valti Daniel did it. Valti? Valti Daniel. Great name for a climber, right? Yeah. Okay. It's the largest freestanding mountain in the world. Does that mean it's not part of a range? Correct. I guess. Okay. It's the freestanding. I was like, mountain. what is that freestanding? Mountain? And then I was like, man, I got to look up some Toto facts. So I typed in Toto facts, and it took me to Toto the dog. Yeah, I bet from Oz, and he never spoke in Oz. <laughs> so Toto never spoke in the original. His name, the original Toto, was Terry the Terrier. <laughs> And he played the guy that the dog that played Toto made one hundred and twenty five dollars a week. Sure, which back in the day that's pretty good money because the midgets only made fifty dollars a week. Oh wow! So I went deep on my Toto. They're little, they're, they're little people, JP. Yeah, sorry. They're, Don't be insensitive. Sorry, they're called uh, yellow brick <laughs> Okay, he also played in thirteen other films. That same dog was in thirteen really? other films. Yeah, Terry the Terrier. Terry man. the Terrier died at age eleven on June eighteenth. <laughs> 2011, my birthday. R.I.P. Terry the Terry. Oh, Uh, wow. He has a memorial set up for, I'm sorry, for her, Terry the Terry, at Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Broke her foot during the production of Wizard of Oz, and one of the scenes they had to have a substitute dog come in. Really? Of a broken. You tell me in Wizard of Oz somewhere there's a fake Toto. There's a sub on a Toto. I'm not having Toto substitutes. I don't know. I don't want to know which scene. Wow. So, um, covers. You got any any covers? I you know more than covers I think of a couple of uh, sort of pop culture references or or uh, things. You ever seen the TV show Scrubs? Yes. There's an episode. Uh, I think it was their hundredth episode. Um, they did a big Wizard of Oz theme throughout the episode, and uh, at the beginning, uh, the like lead character JD is in the bath. Uh, listening to Africa, and okay. he's, he's listening, and he's but it's the whole thing of like him and Toto, sure. you know, whatever. And it's it's the first reference to Wizard of Oz in this whole hour uh, okay. long um, thing. So he's listening to Africa in the bathtub. I think the most popular one, or the one that I heard the most, there's a a, a acapella one. Have you heard the per- Perpetuum Jazil version? I have not. Where they do all the vocal parts. It's an acapella thing. It's pretty cool. Like they Neato. do all the band parts. Should we play some of it? Yeah, play right. some of it. Let's hear it. Hurry, boy. Do, 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 do. 
solid. Got to love a good, what, 50-person acapella group. That's right. You know? That's uh, right. Everybody should have one. Um, the other cover I like is a guy, I'm probably going to botch his last name, Leo Maraccioli. He does a metal version Ooh. that is good. And really? it's got a really good solo. Oh, Take wow. a sampling. Okay. All right. 30-second sampling. Too much. Those for you, Lars. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lars are a big fan of the show. Yeah. Big fan of the show. Listens every week. He emails me. Um, <laughs> doesn't really know how to use a computer much. I think maybe that's why he was afraid of Napster. He, he sent us a fax that said, great job. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, thanks for tuning in, Lars. We really appreciate it, man. We, we, we do. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's a great cover. I um, Wow. I bet. I bet. <laughs> Toto purists are oh, oh so they're like cringy. no yeah, yeah, sorry, oh guys. man that's great but that's how we speak to all uh, genres right that's yeah. right man you got to touch some, them all got some Jazeel in there and then a little uh, that's right you know, we're we're Leo. here listen we're here to serve everybody on the Great Song Podcast mm-hmm. we're not just here for the metalheads podcasters for the people podcasters for the people man everybody what else you got on nah, just, uh, just on go Africa. watch the video if you get a chance it's 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 uh it's weird too there's <laughs> books that keep falling all over the place and this spear keeps getting thrown it's just it's weird and the guy keeps pulling the same Africa book off the shelf <laughs> it's the same scene done over and over again and it looks like Yentl from Barbara Streisand like the video <laughs> quality is just old and That's, it's just yeah I feel like this song you know in the 80s there were a few um, a few like there was a there was a push with stuff like Band Aid and uh, whatever you know outreach songs, and they still go on now. But like, I feel like this song evokes Africa and African, um, not necessarily culture, but at least geography. Uh, without twenty years later, feeling like really racist and insulting, like uh, the Band Aid Christmas song. Do they know it's Christmas? is really yowzers. Like, it's a cool-feeling song, and they meant well, but you listen to it now, and it's like, ooh, that's pretty um, That's pretty patronizing. Uh, Stereotypical. Know, like, yeah, like, oh, do they even know it's Christmas in Africa? You know what I mean? Like, yowzers. Whew. Uh, what's the line about? They even changed it. They did a re-release a few years ago, which was terrible, awful. They changed Bono's line about um, tonight. Thank God it's them instead of you. Yay! Oh, did not age well. Uh, do they know it's Christmas? Uh, you know, was another song about Africa. But this one holds up. They said, and it, I, to their credit, they were intentionally sort of vague with the imagery. They were more after evoking a feeling musically uh, than being specific. Uh, you know, and then a couple things I read talk even about like the odds of seeing. Um, Kilimanjaro from the Serengeti plane is pretty low, you know what I mean? But they didn't like get super specific with that stuff. Oh, there's a great um, misheard lyric on this song on that line. Um, a lot of the lyrics that you look up on, on like if you just Google the lyrics to this song, will say that that line is 
rising uh, rises sure as Kilimanjaro rises like Olympus above the Serengeti, like Olympus, the great Greek mythical mountain where the gods live, uh, where it is, is it, it is in fact rises like a leprous, like a female leopard, which is more, uh, you know, evocative of the African continent than a random reference to Greek great mountain of Olympus. Um, but it is, but it is a lot of people carry that as the lyric, but it is in fact a leprous, especially if you listen to it. We'll it, definitely do a section on misheard lyrics sometime. Oh man. There's a, we can do a lyrics, podcast. One on of the funniest, lyrics. one of the funniest things ever is misheard lyrics. Oh my gosh. Uh, shout out to uh, our friend YouTuber Jared Alonji out there who's done some fine misheard lyrics work in the uh, metal and uh, pop punk genres. Um, we'll hit it more from the softer side someday. Some more of that, some more of that jazz. Some uh, more of that uh, those jazz misheard lyrics. Perpetuum jazil. Perpetuum jazil. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, one more note that I thought was cool on this: um, when they released this song, I believe it was the vinyls that they sent to the UK, uh, it was issued as a limited edition, limited edition picture disc that was shaped like the continent of Africa. So instead of being a circle that you would spin on your record table, it was, you know, it had a large enough section to spin the song. Uh, but the rest of it was shaped like Africa. So, uh, it's pretty cool. If you could fetch one on eBay, I wonder what they're going for these days. Um, you can send us one for next year's Christmas. That'll absolutely. be your thank, thank you podcast. Uh, we would great love song it. Podcast. By the way, shout out to everybody who sent us uh, Christmas gifts and all that stuff. Man, those the were mail. great. Those thank were you great. so much. Thank you so much. Those to that n- didn't, don't feel bad. You can get us next year and our birthdays are coming up. Yeah, so. absolutely. Um, so uh, I'm just kidding. Nobody sent us anything. It's fine. Um, <laughs> it's fine. We weren't even expecting it. It's just fine. I don't even know who you are anymore. <sighs> we wouldn't know how to share them anyway. Yeah, there's it's true. two of us. Yep. Uh, okay. So that's all we got. Hope you've enjoyed this episode on uh, Africa. By we sure have. Toto. Man, we've had a blast, as we do every week, bringing you the greatest songs in modern music history. Uh, we'll hit you up again next week. I promise. We'll see you Friday. First thing Friday morning when you wake up, we'll have hot, fresh new episode coming straight out the oven for you. So uh, until we see you next time, I'm Rob. I'm JP. Go listen to some music.